What is the most beautiful thing that God has ever created? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. Is it a, maybe it's a tropical island with sandy beaches, right? Maybe it's a maybe it's a Milky Way and the universe and the stars and the constellations and the sun. Maybe the most beautiful thing God has ever created is a, an animal, uh, like a tiger or a bird, like the eagle, or some little reptile or insect, like, I don't know, like the chameleon that can change its colors, or the octopus, which is pretty weird, right? What's the most beautiful thing that God has ever created? Well, I have the answer for you, and you're looking at it. And, and I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about all of us. People are God's crowning creation. You and me. In fact, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says that we, you, me, we are God's masterpiece. He looks at you and he goes, masterpiece, masterpiece, masterpiece. Look at someone nearby and say, you're a masterpiece. Now, if your spouse just said that to someone else, don't be mad, okay? I asked them to do it, okay? I asked them to say that. You're a masterpiece. That's how the Bible says it. You're created wonderfully and marvelously. You are the crowning jewel in all of creation, in all of the universe. You are the most beautiful thing that God has made, us people, human beings, We're told in Scripture there's two reasons why we're the masterpiece. And the first is that we are the only thing in all of creation made in God's image and likeness. Which means next time you look in the mirror, can you please be aware, next time you're about to take a selfie and you don't like the lighting, please be aware that you are looking at a little bit of God. You've been made in the image and the likeness of God. There's something in you that reflects both the image and the likeness of the creator of the world and the king of kings and the God of the universe. He's put reflections of that in you. You're a masterpiece. Second reason why you've been called a masterpiece is that you have been created, unlike other things, with a divine purpose. You have a godly, divine purpose. You have not been made without reason. You have not been made, as scientists would say, just by some big explosion or accident. You have been made with purpose. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that we know that life is precious from the moment of conception in the womb because anything conceived that's human has been made already immediately with the image and the likeness of God in mind and with purpose. In fact, this question of what is my purpose happens to be one of the biggest questions we have. Philosophers say it's one of the biggest questions we wrestle with, this question of why am I here? Why was I made? What is my function? What is my purpose? And I love the Bible because the Bible answers so many big questions. And one of the questions it answers is that exact one. Why are you here? Look at someone and say, why are you here? This is the one that we wrestle with often, right? Why are we here? Why was I born? What was I made for? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. And some of you have been searching for your purpose. I want you to know it is found in Scripture. 
And one of the places scripture reveals your purpose is in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go there together and read through those scriptures. And so if you have your Bible with you or maybe the church app, join me in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go from verse 1. As Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he tells people a little bit of, of their story. And he reminds them who they were and who God has now made them to be. So let's start with who you were. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says, Once you were dead. That's a nice way to open. Once you were dead. Why? Well, because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin. So even though you were dead, you used to live. In other words, you were part of the walking dead. You were a zombie spiritually. You were alive and yet spiritually you were dead. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirited work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. What was your condition? You were dead. You were D-O-A. You know what that means? You were dead on arrival. You were born dead. It's not like you were born alive and then you committed some sins and then that led you to death. No, your spiritual condition, as you were born spiritually, you were headed to hell. Which means spiritually, as you were born, you were already headed towards eternal death. Spiritually, you were dead. You had no life. You were, had no consciousness. You had no ability to fix yourself. Unbelievers, those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, it turns out they do not need a self-help course. They do not need some motivational videos. You know what they need? A resurrection. You know what they need? A miracle. You know what they need? God's work. Only God can fix that condition. Once you're dead, the only thing that can help you is a resurrection. For someone, a supernatural power to make you alive. Unbelievers are not sick. They're dead. Paul, in fact, goes on to explain that this death was passed on to us from Adam, the first man who stood as a representation, a representative for all of mankind. And because he sinned and his spirit, he became spiritually headed towards death, all of us then fell into that category. In Romans 5 verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, sin into the world. And Adam's sin brought what, church? Death. And so death spread to everyone. Everyone say, that's me as well. You are part of everyone. For everyone sinned. And so this was a state we were in. We were dead. We were unalive. And we could not help ourselves. How many of you know once you're dead, you can't help yourself? Once you're dead, you can't fix it. Someone else, another force, another being, someone else has to fix it. But once you're dead, you can't do anything. And that's why, church, a lot of unbelievers don't understand spiritual things because they don't have the capacity to understand it. You're asking them to understand something that they don't have the capacity to understand. They're dead. And what they need is someone to make them alive spiritually so they can see spiritual things. That's why unbelievers, you, you'll have people who are unsafe saying, well, I've tried the Bible. I've tried to read that. I've tried to 
research about Jesus, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know why? Because they're spiritually dead. And they can't get themselves out of that. They need a supernatural resurrection. That's like asking a deaf person to listen to the song you found. They don't have the capacity to do it. Or asking a blind person to look at the beautiful sunrise. They don't have the capacity to do it. That's like asking an unbeliever to engage in spiritual things. They don't have the capacity for it. What they need is for someone to make them alive. And unless God does a supernatural work in their life, there is no hope. Unless God makes them alive, there is no hope. Because a corpse, a dead thing, can do nothing. How many of you know if you pinch a corpse, which don't do, that's weird, but not advocating for that, right? But if you did pinch a corpse, it wouldn't yell. If you told it a joke, it wouldn't laugh. If you screamed at it, it wouldn't be offended. You know why? Because it's dead. Spiritually, all of us, do you know that we were dead? We had no spiritual life in us. And we couldn't fix ourselves. We did not have the ability to save ourselves. We needed a savior to help us out of that predicament because we could not do it. That's why Jesus says, you need to be born again because the first time you were born into death, we need to be born again so that this time we can be born into life. And there's two two reasons Paul gives for our predicament. There's two reasons why we are now born into death. He says there in Ephesians 2 from verse 1, let's read it again. Once you were dead because of two things, because of your disobedience, everyone say disobedience. And because of your many sins, everyone say sins. I want us to look at those two in reverse. There's a reason we were born into death. One of them is because of our sins. In the original Greek, this is the word hamartia. Hamartia, and it's mentioned 173 times in the New Testament alone, and this is what it means. It means to completely miss the mark. It's actually a a term reserved for archery, you know, with a bow and arrow. So it's someone who's aiming for something and completely misses the goal. They're unable to achieve the goal that they're aiming for. This is what sin is. The incapacity to actually attain attain the goal we were striving for let me put it like this imagine this entire hall was a raging river and just this week i mean we've seen horror images and videos come out of this world right just seeing the flooding and devastation we know the power of water so imagine this entire hall was one massive raging river and all of humanity was standing on the bank of the river and then someone shouted Jump to the other side. Okay. Imagine we were looking at the other side. And we were all about to jump. Now, some of you look pretty fit. You'd probably jump a little bit further than me. Right? Some of you people who are maybe younger might even take a running start. Some of you people who are older might ask someone who push you. But how many of you know no one would make it to the other side? Some would do better than than others. We might even have a professional athlete or two or even a professional long jumper in the house. But how many of you know no one would make it to the other side? Do you know why? Because we are unable. We will miss 
the mark. This is what sin is. It's the inability to get to God, to get to the other side. We are born with the inability. We will miss the mark and we can try and some people will be better at trying than others. Some people might look like they're getting life figured out. Some people might look like, hey, they, they're living pretty good and they seem like pretty decent people. But all of us will miss the mark unless someone provides us a way because of sin. Harmatia. We cannot achieve the goal. We will all miss the mark. Second thing was disobedience. What's disobedience? It's different to sin. And that disobedience is an intentional, willful act. We decide to do this. We decide to step outside of God's will and his word. Think about a child who you tell them not to touch the wet paint on the wall. The first time they do it, you can lock it down to ignorance, right? You can stammer the one, don't do that again. But when they look at you in the eyes and they start putting their hand out to the wall, Now you are in disobedience. Some of the Bible translations don't call it disobedience. Some call it transgressions. You have made a willful decision to disobey the one who is in charge of you and over you. Paul says, it is because of these two things, your sin that you couldn't help, you were born into, and your willful disobedience that you could help. Because of these two things, we are spiritually born into death, unable to help ourselves. We are all dead. And because we are dead, we have no purpose. Do you know that a corpse has no purpose other than to rot? This is one of the markers of being dead is that all the plans and things you could have achieved mean nothing now because you are, you're not here anymore. You can't achieve anything because of your deathly state. So when we were in death, we had no purpose, but there was no divine assignment on our lives. In fact, if you ask an unbeliever, what's the purpose of your life? You know what they almost always tell you? It's to be happy, to find happiness. And I just need to do whatever it takes to be happy. And I need to fulfill every desire and and go with any pleasure, anything that just feels good in the moment. Because, you know, I only get one shot and I only live for today. And this is the only life I have. It's so limited in their understanding. They're just trying to live and desperately trying to find some happiness and satisfaction and pleasure for today. Do you know that that's how dead things live? And if you are still, if you're, the goal of your life is just happiness and just fulfilling every desire and every pleasure that I have, if, if you're just like, I just want to be happy, I'm going to do whatever it takes, it doesn't matter how to fix people, it doesn't matter what God thinks, I just want to be happy. Well, if that's how you're living, you're living like a dead thing with no purpose. That's what Paul tells us if you look at verse 3. He says, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. This is how dead things live. They just are all about themselves. They're just following the passionate desires and the inclinations of whatever their flesh says. 
He says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And so here's the state Paul says we were in. We were dead. Because of our transgressions and our sins, we were headed for eternal death, and we could not fix ourselves. We could not help ourselves. What we needed was a miracle. And then Paul starts to talk about that miracle in verse 4. He uses these two words, but God. Everyone say, but God. How many of you know when God steps into the picture, everything changes? Everything changes. This little phrase, but God, is a beautiful phrase in Scripture. It's used 45 times in the New Testament, and every time it's used, it shows something drastic is about to happen. A miracle is about to happen. Some massive change is about to happen. The circumstances will not stay the same anymore. Death will not prevail. Darkness will not prevail. But God. And so God saw the state you were in, the mess you were in, and then he stepped into your life. And it tells us this in verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us, So much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. God did the impossible And in your life, he performed a resurrection. You were dead, now you're alive. This is something he did to you. You did not do this to yourself. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. He saved you. And Paul tells us the two reasons God did this. The first reason is because God is so rich in mercy. Do you know that God is rich In mercy, he's not poor in mercy. If you had to check the stock exchange and look at the mercy index, you would see that it's never in recession. It's always abundant. God is wealthy, and this is good news because you and I, we're poor. We're poor spiritually because of our sin. What we need is a generous benefactor. What we need is someone who is rich in mercy to come and bail us out of our spiritual poverty. And that is what God did. He's so rich in mercy. God is not stingy. And some of you, you might look at your life and say, God, I don't know, do you have enough mercy for this? I don't know, God, if you have enough mercy in your life for what I've done and for the choices I've made and for the way it's impacted people and the things I've said and the things I've I've thought, God, I don't know, do you have enough? I want to tell you today, yes, He is rich in mercy. He is wealthy in mercy. He is an abundance of mercy. God is not stingy and saying, oh, I don't have too much. I don't know if I can give you any. No, no, no. He's wealthy, rich in mercy. That's the first reason he's decided to take you out of death and give you life. The second reason is this, because he loves us so deeply. Some of you need to hear this because you don't think God even likes you let alone loves you. Some of you think God at best just tolerates you. 
and he looks at you constantly with disappointment and, oh, he's done it again. No, no, listen to me. When God looks at you, he looks at you as his masterpiece, as someone he loves and he loves and he loves. And his love for you, it's limitless. It's not based on good behavior. He doesn't love you more on the days you're getting it right and love you less on the days you're failing. No, he just loves you fully right now as you are with no condition, no condition, no condition. He's not a petty little God. He's going to be like, oh, I'm going to give you the silent treatment now. I don't like what you did. No, he loves you and he loves you and he he just loves you with such an abundant, deep love. His love for you is jealous. Like when you, when you start falling in love with other things and getting distracted, like he's, he loves you so much, he's jealous for your attention. So jealous, deep, unconditional love. And so God, of course, did not keep you in the state of death. When he saw that you were in death, bound by your sin and your transgressions, consumed by your own lust and pleasure, He looked at this dead thing, this rotting corpse and said, I want to give you life because I have enough mercy in me to do this and I love you enough to do this. In fact, he says now spiritually, he's given you so much life that you are identified as sitting in heavenly places, being seated in the heavenly realm. And you might find that confusing because you're like, I'm not seated in heavenly places. I'm seated in a great chair at 8 Beatrix Street. Well, let me tell you, you have so been identified and united with Jesus that when God looks at you, you know that he so unites you with Jesus Christ and your identity is so tied into the identity of Jesus Christ that the Bible says that just as Jesus Christ died and was buried and raised and was ascended and is now seated in heavenly places, you spiritually have also died and were buried and were raised again and ascended and now are seated in heavenly places. Positionally, spiritually speaking, positionally, that is where you are. God is so sure and confident of your salvation and your eternity that he speaks about it as if it already has happened. You're seated in heavenly places. Spiritually, that is where you are. He's given you new life and not just life here, but eternal life when he made you alive again it wasn't just for living here it was for eternity it's already yours you're already there positionally spiritually speaking you are in heavenly places look at someone and say i'm in heaven right now and i want you to know that something deeply changes when you transfer from a walking dead corpse and now you have eternal life living in you you know what changes is suddenly you have purpose. You didn't have this before. In your previous state, as you were dying and lost by your sin and transgressions, you had no divine purpose. But this changes when God makes you alive. He doesn't make you alive for no reason. It's very clear in Scripture. He makes you alive for a godly, spiritual purpose. Every single one of you in this room have purpose. In fact, let's read about this relationship between our salvation and our purpose in Ephesians 2 from verse 8. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Listen, don't take credit for your salvation. Like no one got saved because they figured it out. Because they studied and they had an epiphany and they had a revelation and they just did all the notes. That's not how it works, right? 
You can't take credit from this. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, it says. For we are God's masterpiece. And then listen to this. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Why did he make you alive? Well, because he's rich in mercy, he's deep in love, and he's given you divine purpose. You now have a divine purpose. Did you see the relationship between our salvation and our works over there? We're told in scripture that we are not saved by our works, but now we are saved for good works. So good works, by the way, don't produce salvation, but from your salvation will be produced good works. Can I say that again? Good works don't produce salvation, but your salvation produces good works. So if you want to know your purpose, here it is. Your purpose is to work with God. To partner with God. That's your purpose now. He's made you alive so that you can work with him on bringing his kingdom to earth. Do you want to know why he made you and make you alive? So that you can work with God. Look at someone and say, my purpose is to work with God. You have now, because you are alive, you've been given godly assignments. This is what sets a church apart. What sets a community of believers apart. What makes us so different from the world is not just that we are now spiritually alive. It's that in being alive, he's given us spiritual purpose. We are a community of godly purpose. A community committed to working with God, to partnering with God. A community committed to bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth. That's what makes us a church. That's what makes us a community. It is people filled with God's purpose on a mission to work alongside him and with him. You have been given divine purpose. In fact, I think there are two questions every Christian should have answered in their life. It happens to be the same two questions that Paul asks as he encounters Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. The first question in that supernatural encounter that Paul has is, who are you? Right, and that's the first question we have to answer as we come to Christ. Who are you? And as he reveals his beauty and majesty and authority, as we realize that Jesus Christ is a Messiah and Son of God, and it changes us. Second question Paul answered. Once he knew who Jesus was, he says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Church, this is such an important question that we ask. We should be asking of God, and I think a lot of Christians... They don't ask that of God. They kind of get saved and then they're like, cool, I'm saved. Let me wait around for heaven. When's the second coming happening? Like, so not about what God wants me to do today. It's about just me waiting. Listen, you were not made alive to wait. You were made alive so that you could now partner with God. The first part is God's part, that in you he produces salvation. But the second part is a partnership that through your salvation he produces service. Through our salvation he produces service. Now, we're used to living for ourselves. Remember when we were dead? 
where we're consumed with our own lusts and our own pleasures. And we kind of live selfishly. It was all about my needs. Do you know that you can do that spiritually, even as a Christian? We can be so used to living for ourselves that even now as Christians in the faith, we make our faith all about us and our journey and our needs and what I'm going to learn and what I'm going to have as a revelation. Instead of saying, okay, as God grows me, he's going to grow me towards service. In fact, I should be worrying about others. I should be worried about, how God, how do you want to use me today to bless people? How do you want to use my life and my connections and my resources to bring your kingdom to earth? Because my life is no longer about me. That's how I used to live. It is now about partnering with God for His service. And I know even as I say that, there must be some who don't feel worthy of that. You're like, God, why, why would you want to use me? Right? You might be sitting next to your spouse and you're like, masterpiece, I don't know, piece of work, yes. But you're thinking about yourself and the, the problem is we know our stuff. We know how, how weird we are sometimes, how unreliable we are, how inconsistent we are. We know our shortcomings. We know our triggers. We know our trauma. We know our failings. I think it's so easy to kind of look and say, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of the title of masterpiece. I don't deserve that. And to you who think that, let me say this. You are not the artist. You don't get to define who you are. That belongs to the one making the painting. And he looks at you and says, masterpiece, masterpiece, masterpiece. That's who he says you are. You don't get to define it. You don't get to say who you are. That's, that belongs to the creator who makes you when he looks at you, masterpiece, masterpiece, masterpiece. And I know sometimes we're a work in progress, but I want to tell you, God loves to work with us like this. In fact, as you look at the ministry of God in scripture, you see even Jesus, you know, he chooses these like disciples that no one else would have chosen. He calls us one guy, Simon, and Simon's so unreliable. And like so wishy-washy and all over the place and unstable. And then Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to call you. I'm going to change your name. And what did he change Simon's name to? Peter. Peter, you know what Peter means? Rock. You are stable and strong and secure. I would not have called him Peter. I don't know. I would have called him Sandy, right? It's like, you're not a rock. You're just like shifting and unstable and all over the place. But instead, he looks at him this unstable man, and he calls him Stable Peter. You are the rock. God sees in him the masterpiece that he has called him for because he's now made him alive. You look in the Old Testament at Gideon. <laughs> There's Gideon. We find him thrashing wheat, which you should do on the high places so the wind can take away all the chaff, but instead he's in the wine press and he's hiding from the Midianites. He's scared. He's cowardly. There's no bravery in him. And an angel appears to him as he's thrashing the wheat down in the cellar. And the angel says, mighty man of valor. And I could imagine Gideon saying, oh, who, where, where's that? Where? Right? Because I promise you, Gideon did not feel like that. In fact, Gideon says, hey, I'm, I'm like the weakest in my family. And my family is like the weakest in our tribe. And our tribe is like the lowest in the entire nation of Israel. Right? Like Gideon had that tape. He just, he, 
He just said to the angel of the tape that he'd probably been playing to himself his whole life, like, I am not the mighty man of valor. And yet God calls him that which is not yet as though it were. And he looks at him and he says, masterpiece. He calls this unstable Peter the rock and this cowardly Gideon a man of valor. And he looks at you and says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a masterpiece. And you know, it's so often that when a painter is busy painting and making a work of art, they can come to a blank page. But in their mind, they can see the entire thing. They can see the finished work. And that's why God, when he looks at you, he can see the finished work. In fact, this word masterpiece talks about beauty and rhythm and perfection. Beauty, rhythm, perfection. And guys, I know you, you might feel like that is not you, but I want to tell you, God is still at work. And he's not going to stop the work. You are worthy of partnering with God. And you were worthy not because you earned it. But because God in his mercy and his love decided to make you alive to partner with him. He's already qualified you. He's already certified you. He's already put a stamp of approval on your life just by making you a Christian. He's saying, I want to work with you. So don't disqualify yourself. Don't take yourself out the game. And for those of you who are working, remember, you don't have to work to earn the salvation. You don't have to strive. This is not about keeping yourself in a place where I'm going to work so much for God so he loves me more. No, he loves you as you are. But we understand that our salvation produces good works. This is our purpose now to partner with God. This is your purpose in life, to partner with God. And so I want to ask you today, will you partner with him? When last did you ask the question that Paul asked on the road to Damascus? Lord, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? I know I'm a work in progress, but this is a promise from Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, I'm certain that God who began this good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. He's not giving up on you, church. His mercies on you every morning and his love will never leave you and never forsake you. The two reasons that motivated him to make you alive in the first place, those two reasons will never change. And so I know you might be thinking, okay, I get it now. My faith is not about myself and I've only been made alive because God has given me divine purpose to partner with him. But where do I start? What do I do? Here's my best advice to you. Start where you are with whatever's in your hands because God has already given you enough for life and godliness. So where are you? Where are you in life? What house are you in? What office are you in? What church are you in? You start there. What people in your life have needs? You start there. What is in your hands? What resources has God put in your hands? What, what passion has he put in your hands? What are you passionate about? Kids? Tech? Shopping? I don't know, art? Music? What talents and giftings has he really put inside of you? And so you look at, this is where I am, and this is what is in my hands today. 
What can I do for the Lord? And I know for some of us, we're like, we're so scared to make the wrong move. We don't make any move. I promise you, doing something for God is always better than doing nothing. And so don't wait for the writing on the wall. Or we're like, I'm not gonna do anything for the Lord. I, I need him to like the booming voice from heaven. I want the hand to come out the clouds and be like, Ryan, go to Iswatini. Like, okay, Lord. And so we wait and we wait and we wait. We just want that sign. We want that profound confirmation. And now it's been 48 years and we're still waiting. Don't wait. You were made alive to do good works, your salvation to produce godly activity. So what can you do? Can you start a prayer group at your office every morning? Is that where you have been placed and what's in your ability? Can you go and visit an elderly person in your family that no one is paying attention to? Is that within your ability? Can you start a Bible study at your school during break? Is that within your place, the area God's put you in and your ability? Can you serve somewhere in your church? Is that within your ability? Can you take and invite your family to church? I don't know, you've got to ask the question, where am I? And what does God put within me? Those two things are not by accident. And as you start serving, you start partnering with God. And as long as your intention is, God, I want to bring your kingdom to earth. I want to show people love. And I want to serve others so that my faith is not just about me. Man, now you are partnering and you are fulfilling your purpose. This is why God made you alive. To partner with him. So the invitation today is to do just that. Ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? In fact, I want to invite you to ask that question now. Can you all close your eyes? God is going to build his church. And not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And he's going to use you to do it. Church is a place of purpose, a place we discover our divine assignment. And if you are a Christian here today, you have been made alive, not by accident and not for yourself. You have been made alive because God wants to work with you. And so wherever you are right now, I just want you to quietly pray that prayer. If it's a genuine prayer, please don't pray this if your heart's not in it. Don't do this to please people. But if this is a genuine prayer you want to pray, just ask this question, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are hearing those prayers today. And I pray, God, that by your Spirit, you would reveal and you would prompt and you would lead your people. God, that our faith would not be about us, but it would be about serving others, being of service to you with our time and our, and our resources and God, everything you've put in us, we just want to serve you. God, would you lead those? Lead those, God, who have been maybe stuck in apathy, who have been stuck in inactivity. God, lead those who have not been active in your kingdom to love their neighbor, to serve their family, to pay attention to their work colleagues, God, just in some ways to bring your kingdom down 
to earth. God, I love how you move. And I'm thankful, God, that you have given us purpose. In fact, that's the second prayer I want to invite you to pray. Can you thank God for purpose? Thank Him for making you alive. He did not leave you dead. This is the good news. He didn't leave you dead. He made you alive. And He's done that so that you can build His church.